0: As we approach the thanksgiving season many people contemplate the things for which they could be thankful maybe it's a nice home maybe it's a nice family uh, food to eat all of these things are worth being thankful for but one of the greatest things for which a believer can be thankful is for the change that god has brought about in the person's life the same is true of the apostle paul as we're going to find out in today's message thankful for a change. If you have a copy of God's Word, we encourage you to turn with us in Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31, and join us for this message on today's edition of the Bellator Christi Podcast.
1: Listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by BellatorChristi.com. Now join your host, Brian Chilton, as we enter the arena of ideas. I had to say I was
0: impressed by Ronda able to take care of the children and still hold the microphone. If that had been me, it wouldn't have been the same result. I'd have been down on the floor or something. That was <laughs> Excellent job, everyone. Excellent job. I want to ask you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts chapter 9, uh, verses uh, 26 through 31. I was actually looking at uh, going a different route this morning, but as I w- we've been going through the book of Acts, as I was uh, looking at this story, you know, I came across the fact that, uh, that we have uh, a lot to be thankful for. Actually, that's supposed to be, I'm sorry, I, said, I think I said chapter 6, that's chapter 9. Uh, chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. But uh, as we look at the Apostle Paul, uh, his name is being called Saul at this point in time. We see that we, if nothing else, if, if everything in life seems chaotic, we have as believers something for which we can be thankful Every one of us do. Because if nothing else, we can be thankful for the change that God has brought in our lives. When we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and the, and the walk that we have with Him from day to day, uh, we have something for which we can be thankful, truly grateful. So we want to ask everyone, as you grab your copy of God's Word, to please stand in honor of the reading and hearing of God's precious holy word. If you can't stand, don't worry about it. Uh, but those who, who can and are able, we invite you to stand as we read Acts chapter 9, verses 26 through 31. It says, and when Saul, now just understand that Saul here is the Apostle Paul, who will be later called that here in a couple of chapters. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him. Now remember, this Saul had been the one who had been persecuting the church. He'd been running Christians out of communities. He is now, it had even reached the point in time that he was threatening to kill individuals who were Christians. But now he had, of course, he saw the risen Lord Jesus, and, uh, and he came to faith. And so they, they were afraid of him, but did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas, Barnabas who was an encourager. Understand this, this verse shows us if it had not been for Barnabas, Paul would not have had the apostolic ministry that he had. Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. D- uh, Barnabas, excuse me, had seen a change in the life of Paul. So he was with them at Jerusalem, coming in and going out, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed among, among or excuse me, against the Hellenists. But they attempted to kill him. But when the brethren found out, they brought him down from Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Gal- uh, excuse me, Galilee and Samaria had peace and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. Dear kind and of gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what it means to us. We just ask, Lord, this morning that you allow me to speak the words that need to be spoken holding back any words that don't need to be spoken. And in through it all, Lord, that our eyes would be open so we could see, our ears would be open so we could hear, and our hearts would be open to receive the truths that you have for us this morning. For we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I, I am a, I've, I've had a wonderful opportunity to, to know several people who were quick-witted. Uh, Francis is one of them. She is a, has a really quick wit. She can think of comebacks in a moment's notice. I can, on the other hand, I can think of comebacks, but it's usually 30 minutes after the fact. So it doesn't do any good by that time. But I had a, I had a friend of mine when I worked at uh, pu- in a public job at, uh, well, I'm just going to say where it was. It was at Unify. I had a, had a uh, wonderful friend, and, uh, and she, uh, she, w- she was quick-witted. Uh, almost as quick witted as Francis, but maybe not quite as much. But she was really, really quick witted. And uh, there was this lady uh, that we uh, we both worked with who was a fitness fanatic. Now I'm not talking. I'm all for for being in shape. I'm in shape, round as a shape, you know. It's a shape. So I'm gonna go with that. But anyhow, uh, <laughs> Emily, be nice. But this this woman we worked with, she was a fitness fanatic. I'm talking about. She spent hours and hours and hours in the gym, and hours, and so she comes to this friend of mine, and she says to her, honey, you need to lose some weight, you're too fat. I was like, oh, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> My friend does it without, without missing a beat. She says, well, honey, you know, I have a lot to be thankful for. She said, because, you know, this weight, I can lose this weight, but you can't lose your ugly. That's going to last you a lifetime, so <laughs> you need to step off, She said. At which time, that other lady just swooshed her hair, and off she went, never to mention that ever, ever, ever again. So obviously, we all have a lot for which we can be thankful. You know, sometimes, you know, uh, we just need to step back and look at the blessings that God has given us. Paul has, is one who had been transformed. He was a new creature, we see. Uh, his change would be something that he would be thankful for for the rest of his days while on planet earth and even in eternity. 1 Corinthians 15, 8, as he records a tradition that he discovered in this very meeting we're reading about here in Jerusalem, which happened within at least three years of the resurrection of Jesus, may have been even earlier than that, uh, he records in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 through 7 how the Lord Jesus had appeared to a series of these individuals. Historians recognize that that segment of Scripture actually predates the New Testament itself within months of the actual historical Jesus. That is absolutely huge. But Paul says in verse 8, he says this, I last of all saw the risen Jesus as one born out of due time. He didn't consider himself worthy to be an apostle, but he was called an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. So we all can be thankful for this change that we have in our lives. And there are just four points we're going to simply make this morning. Number one, we can be thankful for a personal change we have had in the Lord Jesus. We can be thankful for a preaching change in the Lord Jesus. We can be thankful for a peaceful change. And then finally, we can be thankful for a powerful change that has happened in our lives. First of all, let's take a look at verses 26 and 27. We can first of all be thankful for the personal change that happens in our lives. As you go back to verse 26, you notice that Saul, he came to Jerusalem to meet with the disciples. But the disciples, they they were afraid to let Paul in their fellowship. They were afraid to let him in. And we're going to take a look at some of the reasons why that why Paul was, in many cases, he he probably felt like an outsider. Uh, We're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. But Paul, he tries to come join the fellowship of the Christians, but they look at him and they think, hmm, is this guy a Trojan horse or something? Is he just trying to sneak in the church so he can destroy the church? What's going on here? But it was for Barnabas, it was because of Barnabas, the son of encouragement who said, guys, I've seen the transformation that's happened in this guy's life. This isn't the same Saul that you're used to seeing. This guy, Paul, is something different. The Lord Jesus has got a hold of his heart. He's actually been threatened because of his faith. This guy's not the same guy that you saw. This is not the same guy that you remember. You know, beloved, we can all be, I think, number one, thankful for our Barnabases. Those individuals who've had a powerful impact in our lives. Those people God has used whom have, uh, who have really told us about the faith and who has really been beneficial in our walk with the Lord, uh, who has helped, God has used to help develop us into the people we are today. Uh, and, but, but we can see this change that happens in Paul's life, but we also can see this change that happens in our own lives. For instance, when I was outside the will of the Lord, it may surprise you, I couldn't stand to read. I couldn't stand to read. I, I didn't want to take time to go read, pick up a book and read. But ever since God's got a hold of my heart, uh, I can't stop now. I want to learn more and more and more about the Lord Jesus, about Scripture. My wife probably wishes I'd kind of reformed back to the old ways because the amount of books I've, I've accumulated over the years. But in all seriousness, there is a change. Those little small changes, but they're resulting of a larger change that's happened in our hearts and in our lives. Uh, this, this comes about by three ways. A uh, general confidence in God in Christ. We hear the message of, of the gospel. We come to accept intellectually the testimony that it is true. And then finally, we yield to Christ, trusting in Him for the salvation of our souls and of our lives. This is called a saving faith. When we have a saving faith, we enter into a new relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And Christ... He does not leave us the way we are. He's consistently transforming us to be made in the image of Christ. Wednesday night we spoke of a three st- of three steps that happen in a person's salvation we find in scripture. Justification means we've been made right with God. That ho- happens at the moment of salvation, the moment we receive Christ, we're made justified in the eyes of God. But we also see that in- in- eventually in the end we're glorified, that we're made a new creation in heaven. When we go to heaven, we rece- we, uh, we we see the wonderful transformation that has happened in all of us as the end result of our salvation but there's also a third step that happens day by day and that's called sanctification that we're being made into the image of Christ Jesus it's a day-by-day process Ezekiel said uh, God said to Ezekiel that I will give them integrity of heart and put a new spirit within them I will remove the heart of stone from their bodies and give them a heart of flesh Paul said to the church at Rome, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. He also says to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians 5.17, If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, the new has come. Aren't you glad that you're a new creation? You're not the same person that you once were. You're a new creation. Understand when we receive Christ, there's a transformation that takes place. And God is not going to leave us according to the old ways of life. He's going to make within us a new spirit. He's going to make within us a new mind. He's going to make within us a new heart. You see, people shouldn't have to hear us say that I'm a Christian. They should see it in our lives. Amen? They should see it in the way we walk, they should see it in the way we talk, they should see it in the way we conduct our business from day to day. Why? Because we're a new creation. Just think for a moment, if you want to be thankful for something, just think in your moment, think in your heart for a moment of where you would have been right now if it hadn't been for the Lord's transformation in your heart and your life. Where would you be? What would you be doing? What would, what would you be into? Uh, I, I guarantee you that for many of us, uh, for many of us, myself included, we would be going down a wrong road. We'd be involved in all kinds of things that would not benefit us. We would be involved in all kinds of treacherous acts. But because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, He has made us a new creation. He's not going to leave us the old way, He's going to transform us into the new ways of life. Number two, we see that we're thankful. We can be thankful not only for this personal change, but we can be thankful for a preaching change. Look at verses 28 and 29. Paul went with them in Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Now up until this time, understand Paul, his whole focus had been against Christ. He saw this Christian movement as an embarrassment to Judaism, and he wanted to get rid of it. Everywhere he went, he couldn't stop proclaiming how he wanted to eradicate the world of Christianity. Now, once he saw the risen Jesus and this transformation had happened in his life, look what he does now. He speaks boldly in verse 29 in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists to the point that the Hellenists are now trying to kill Paul. (laughs) He can't be quiet. You see, he's not going to sit on the sidelines and be quiet about this. His life has been changed. He's been transformed. He's got to let people know that this Jesus is real and that there's salvation to be had in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. You see, Paul, in many ways, felt, must have felt like an outsider. How many of you have ever felt like an outsider before? Anybody? You ever, you ever felt like you may be out of place? Paul, I really believe, all of his life probably felt like an outsider. Paul grew up in Tarsus, which is what is known as a Hellenistic Jewish community. By Hellenism, we're, we're simply saying that they were introduced to Greek philosophy. They were, uh, they were Greek-speaking Jews. Okay? Their native tongue was, was Greek. Paul left Tarsus to go to to Jerusalem to be trained by one of the greatest teachers, one of the greatest scholars outside of Jesus Christ himself, one of the greatest scholars of that day and time, which was a man by the name of Gamaliel. Now think of this, Paul went to Jerusalem to receive a Palestinian education while still being a, a Hellenistic Jew. He must have felt out of place. Can you imagine Paul sitting there in the classroom and in the teacher asking a question, and all the other students looking around says, well, you know, that Paul, you know, we don't know what he's going to be thinking. You know, he's one of those Hellenistic Jews. He's one of those native Greek speakers, so, so we don't want to trust him. So just think about this. Paul has a Palestinian education, goes back to Tarsus. Now, with his own people, he must be like an outsider because everybody's looking at him thinking, oh, you know, Paul, he had to go down to Jerusalem. He doesn't have this Hellenistic education that we have. He's trained by those Palestinians. So we don't know what he's going to be teaching. You can't quite trust what he's saying. So he feels like an outsider at home. He feels like an outsider in Jerusalem. Bless his heart. His path was not a great one before coming to Christ. He enters the church, and then what happens? Is he openly welcomed? <laughs> no. <laughs> the church looks at him and says, All right, Paul, what's your agenda? You, you, you come in here, you say, you say you're a changed man, but how do we know you're just not being a Trojan horse of some sort, coming in here trying to mess up the church? church? How do we know we can trust you? Paul always felt like an outsider. Aren't you glad to know that Jesus came for the outsiders too? He came for the outsiders too. Beloved, understand if you feel like an outsider, you're an insider with Jesus Christ. If you've entered into a relationship with him, he has accepted you with open arms into his family. You're adopted into his family. And while the world may look with you scorn, with scorn, he looks with you at, at, with love and compassion. Aren't you glad of that? If we have nothing else to be thankful for this Thanksgiving Day, we can be thankful that we're right at home in the family of God. Amen? We're right at home with the family of God. You see, our preaching should be changed. R.T. Kendall says, I've heard a lot of people say... They've, they've argued, well, apologetics and, and, and evangelism, does that really do a difference? Does it really make a difference because it's the Holy Spirit that saves? But understand something. God has chosen the evangelism and preaching, the preaching and teaching of His Word to bring people to faith. R. T. Kendall says there's such a thing as a general call and a particular call. What that means is we get the information out there. We know, let people know what we believe, why we believe it. We let people know what the message of the gospel is. That's a general call. We plant the seed, as Jesus says, and then the Holy Spirit starts working through the work that we do. He starts calling. Sometimes the gospel may be nothing more than a stone in somebody's shoe. You know, you ever got a pebble in your shoe, and you're walking around on it, and especially you ladies, I don't see how you guys walk on the high heels. I'm amazed by that. But you may get, you know, that pebble in your shoe, and maybe your your, your, your foot's not feeling right, and the more you try to walk, the more uncomfortable it gets. And You finally just take that thing off and say, what in the world is in this thing? Well, there's a piece of paper in mine. Anyhow, uh, there's something in here... uh, can't get it off either. Anyhow, thankfully it's not a stone. But anyhow, you see that in there, you see that in there, and and it drives you nuts. God does the same thing with the gospel message. He takes what we do, the presentation of the gospel, and He uses that to stir up within the heart of the individual a particular call within that person's heart, gnawing at them, letting them know the message of the gospel letting them know that they need to be saved. How many of you remember the day that you were saved? How you remember that? Do you remember that gnawing in your heart? Knowing that there's something just not right and you couldn't get rid of it? And it just kept gnawing at you and gnawing at you. You know what that was? That's was the Holy Spirit. In fact, I've seen, you've probably seen it before, what's called the white knuckle syndrome. You can tell when someone's in, under conviction because they'll grab hold of that pew so hard. You can see the whites of their knuckles where well, they're grabbing hold to it so hard. That's the Holy Spirit of God. And when we receive the message, the relationship of Christ, our whole preaching changes, Our whole proclamation changes. Our focus is on the Lord Jesus Christ and His righteousness. I remember back, my, my grandpa Chilton, uh, excuse me, my grandpa Sisk, and the last few, uh, he was a preacher through and through. He didn't have the greatest of educations. I think he only had about an eighth grade education. But he knew one thing, he knew Jesus. And he was going to let people know about it. And I remember mom said in the last few months of his life, there was a, there was a doctor who was a, uh, an Indian doctor, a Hindu doctor. And uh, he asked her coming in, said, uh, do you know Jesus? And she says, uh, no sir, she said, I'm, I'm a Hindu He says, well, I didn't ask if you were Hindu. I'm asking if you knew Jesus. And so he kept on and kept on. And mom said, finally said, Daddy, you done told her. Let the Lord work. She's your doctor. Remember, you know, let let it go. (laughs) But he couldn't stop. He wanted to make sure she knew about the Lord Jesus Christ. Understand, while we may seem like an outsider to the world, we have an inside track with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we need to be thankful for the preaching change, the focus that we have in our lives through the relationship we have with him. Number three, we can be thankful for a peaceful change in verse 31. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria, look what it says, had peace. Where did this peace come from? Did it come from the fact that Paul had finally been saved and was leaving him alone now? <laughs> you know, some people may think that, but that's not what the Scripture says. They were walking in fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. The peace that they had came from the Holy Spirit of God. This doesn't mean, don't don't think for a moment that the persecution had ceased. Luke is using the term church here to reference the universal church, not just a, a small church in a small location, but the entire church. Many people were facing persecutions. Many people were facing uncertain days, but they still had peace. Why did they have peace? Because the inward working of the Holy Spirit, despite the chaos that may have happened, despite the chaos that may have ensued, they still had that abiding presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the support that He gave them in the midst of their troubles. I went to the digestive specialist. I don't know if I told you here this or not. Uh, but I went to the digestive specialist doctor this past Monday and I had an early colonoscopy done because if, for those of you who know I have a lot of digestive issues, it gives me trouble from time to time. And so they decided to do an early colonoscopy and they found four polyps whenever they were doing it, which was really unusual. They said two were no problem, but two, if I had waited till I was 50, would have turned into cancer. They're, they're pretty sure it would have turned into cancer. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking about this. I'm just saying, thank the Lord that <laughs> he knew. I didn't know what was going on, but he knew. And because of them detecting that early, they were able to get rid of that and, uh, and basically get rid of the problem. Now, I was told that they're not going to let me go five years <laughs> without having another one because of that. But, you know, as I look at this, you know, it's scary to think about. I still had this peace from the Holy Spirit that God's got my back. You know, what if I had been, what if I had said, no, I'm just going to wait till I'm 50. I'm not going to bother with this. I'm too young to have this done. What if I had done that? It may have grown and developed into something far worse, but by the grace of Almighty God, He moved in the doctors' hearts, He moved in the nurses' hearts. He had me do this so that they caught it before it even developed into anything. Understand, despite the chaos you may have in life, despite the chaos that may be going in the world, understand this, if God is for you, nobody else can be against you. Amen? It doesn't matter how big they are or who they are or what position they hold, if God has your back, then nothing else matters. We can have that peace of the Holy Spirit, knowing that that it comes from the Prince of Peace. We can have that peace that only comes from God. Last but certainly not least, we can be thankful for a powerful change. We see in verse 31 that they had peace. And we see that they were edified. And this word edify originally means to construct or to build an edifice. The word can also mean to build in a figurative sense, as when Jesus said He would build His church. It can mean to establish. It can mean to strengthen. It can mean spiritual development. But what we see in this context is that God gave them power. Amen? I think we often in North America, I think we often in the Western church forget about the power that we have in Jesus Christ. I remember one African missionary, or excuse me, African pastor told a an American missionary, he says, I only have one problem with some of you Christians in the West. You don't realize the power you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, over here in Africa, we see constantly the power of Satan working in exor- you know, working in possessions and things of this nature. and we, You just don't realize the power you have in the Lord Jesus Christ and then through His Holy Spirit. I was speaking with a friend of mine this past week, and, and beloved, he's gone through the ringer. I mean, a- anything that could have ever happened to somebody has happened to him this past week or so. You talk about having a bad week. My, my friend has had a very bad week. And, he's t- and he told me, and I was speaking with him, and, and he told me, he says, Brian, he said, you know the only thing that has gotten me through this week is my relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing that's gotten me through this week. If it hadn't been for that, he says, I, I don't know what I would have done. You know, to be honest, because everything has just flown apart at the seams. When the disciples saw the miracles taking place, notice they didn't take credit for their own they, as being something that they did. They weren't like these televangelists who wipe their sweaty brow with a, a handkerchief and say, you pay me $50, you can buy my sweaty cloth and put it under your pillow to go to sleep at night. And to which I say, ooh, Nasty. But the disciples didn't do anything like that. No, they realized that the power within them, the power working these miracles, was the Holy Spirit of God. While they were weak, He was still strong. And understand this, beloved. No matter what you're going through in life, no matter what you're facing this Thanksgiving, you may feel weakened, you may feel powerless, but God has not changed. Amen? God is still the God He's always been, and He's still a God of truth, which means He cannot tell a lie. It's not that He chooses not to tell a lie. He can't. It goes against His very nature. If you don't believe me, look at Titus chapter 1, verse 2. It says as much. God cannot lie, Titus 1, 2. So if God has promised you that He will never leave you and He will never forsake you, guess what? He's trite. He won't. While we are weak, He is still strong. But understand this, God has never promised us an easy road. I think a lot of times when we talk about the change that he makes in our lives, that we we make it sound like once you become a Christian, everything is hunky-dory and you never have any problems. But the Bible never tells us this. Jesus, in fact, himself says, Take up your cross and follow me, which is to say to us that there are going to be some tough times in life. But he's also promised that he will never leave us, he'll never forsake us. He's also promised that we can have his strength. A lot of times in life, we we fail to be thankful because we think for some reason God has left us. Gary Habermas wrote a chapter on this in the book, Uh, Come Let Us Reason. He talks about the silence of God. And he says, really, quite honestly, when we talk about the silence of God, it's really an illusion. Sometimes the devil plays it on us, but sometimes we play it on ourselves. He writes this, he says... Hundreds of recent psychological studies have proved that contrary to what we often think, our chief pain in life comes not from what actually happens or does not happen to us. Rather, our worst pain generally comes from what we tell ourselves. Think about that. From what we tell ourselves about the things we experience. In regard to God's silence, much of our worst pain is self-inflicted. When we think to ourselves that God does not love us or does not care for us, we actually poison the purity of God's truth that He has given us. Do you hear what he's saying? A lot of times when we think that God has left us, in actuality, He's closer to us than He's ever been. But we may not have all the tingles and all the bells and whistles that sometimes comes with our spiritual walk, but understand, He's not left you at all. It may actually be that he is closer to you than you ever could imagine. It may just simply be that the silence you feel may be something that the devil is poisoning your mind with or it may be something that we're poisoning ourselves with. God does not and will not lie. So when he promises you that he never will leave you and never forsakes you, guess what? He won't. When he promises you that you have an assurance of your salvation, guess what? You do. When he promises you that after this life is over that you have an eternity in heaven awaiting you, guess what? You will God will not, cannot, and ever will not lie. And so, beloved, understand, focus on the promises of God this Thanksgiving season. Even if you're going through a lot of chaos in life, even if you're sitting at the Thanksgiving dinner table and you have that family member that drives you nuts, don't focus on that person. Emily, be good. (laughs) Don't focus on that person. Focus on God. Amen? Focus on God this Thanksgiving season. And guess what, beloved? We'll, be, we'll, we'll find the blessings of God are ever more present than we ever could ever realize. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, let me encourage you to come today to receive him before it's eternally too late. You may not get another chance to receive Him, so we want to encourage you to come today and do just that. Maybe uh, you're going through some difficulties in life, and maybe you want to just lay them down at the foot of the cross. We encourage you to do that as well. Or maybe you'd like to come and join the ministry at Huntsville Baptist Church. We would certainly welcome you to do that in addition. The kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Spirit. We thank You that You're a God of truth. Promises that you bestow upon us are eternal in scope, and that we can rest assured that you will come through with all the promises that you've given us. We'll have your will in your way in this time of invitation. Yes, all these things in Jesus'
2: name. (laughs)
1: expressed on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of BellatorChristy.com or its affiliates. The Bellator Christy podcast is a production of BellatorChristy.com and is protected under Creative Commons copyright. All rights reserved. The theme song is Crucified, written by John and Michaela Lemonese, performed by Crosby Lane, and produced by Mansion Entertainment.
2: In his lifetime, Charles Spurgeon preached to over 10 million people, and his sermons have been changing millions more ever since. The CSB Spurgeon Study Bible weaves thousands of his words, notes, and excerpts into a rich daily study experience designed to bring to life the words of Charles Spurgeon alongside the words he loved and cherished his entire life.
3: No one would be more surprised than Spurgeon to discover such a thing as the Charles Spurgeon Study Bible. And yet, I think he would be both surprised and delighted. I would say that Spurgeon, as much as any preacher of an earlier era, has impacted my pastoral ministry, not in terms of the actual content itself, as much as the approach to Scripture, as it were, on his knees. It's material that has stood the test of time. And so for it to be encapsulated in this one form uh, is, is just a terrific resource. And I think that what it's going to do is broaden the understanding of the Bible and at the same time, give to people an understanding of Spurgeon.
2: With a rich and beautiful design, the Spurgeon Study Bible introduces readers to the insights and wisdom of Spurgeon as a pastoral guide through the Bible that includes his writings, journal entries, lost sermons, and resources not available anywhere else.
3: For someone who's barely heard the name Spurgeon, and perhaps has never even read anything that he wrote, the Study Bible is going to be a revelation. Right there, page by page, book by book, they are introduced to Spurgeon at his very best. One of the things that will be immediately attractive to them is the fact that they will see Spurgeon's own handwriting within the prints of the Bible. So that not only did they have his comments, but they have his comments as they were originally written down. It is immediately appealing to the eye, as well as, uh, you know, rewarding to the mind. For the student of uh, Scripture and the lover of Spurgeon, is a treasure trove.
2: Throughout his life, Spurgeon gave himself to knowing, loving, and proclaiming the truth of Christ. Each edit and inclusion in the CSB Spurgeon Study Bible follows this passion, that every reader might get into the very heart of the Word of God.
3: There's a certain element in this study Bible that causes the reader to feel almost that they are inhabiting the time of Spurgeon himself. It's clearly all about the one whom he longs to preach and proclaim. This is the great value that is to be found in the material. I hope that this Study Bible is going to introduce a whole new group of people to Spurgeon himself and to the influence that he had, and that because the heart of man is the same no matter where he finds himself or she finds herself. And Spurgeon's timeliness, indeed his timelessness, is
2: that. experience God's Word and the legacy of Charles Spurgeon. To find out more, visit csbspurgeonstudybible.com
1: when I first wrote evidence that demands a verdict truth wasn't so much an issue as what is truth can you know truth but now it is Some of the issues are different
0: because of the internet, like the claim that Jesus doesn't even exist. Are there other gospels that should have been in the Bible? Is Christianity just a
3: copycat religion? So when we updated this, because I hear it from students so often, I thought we have to
0: have the single best chapter that responds to this claim, and I think we do.
1: We had to rewrite. Evidence demands a verdict because there's so much new evidence out there. It's like one Greek scholar said, the evidence now for the scriptures is like a tsunami, an avalanche that is hitting. And we want you to be aware of that. We want every young person, every student, every pastor, every professor to be aware of the new evidence out there. To understand not just what they believe, but why they
0: believe in. It. Evidence that demands a verdict. On sale everywhere October 3rd, 2017. Go to hashtag true evidence.